0: Welcome to The Venture Podcast, the show that teaches business owners and decision makers how to stand out in the market using branding and strategic thinking. I'm your host, Kane Levy. I'm the founder and creative director of Venture, a London-based creative agency specializing in brand strategy, design, and video. So I want to try something a little bit different today. Normally, these podcasts are pretty scripted, and I've got all of my information laid out beforehand. But I think I wanna try something more casual and still giving you guys the same kind of thorough information that you're used to, but maybe letting my personality come out a little bit more. So we'll try that today and um, hey, we'll see how things go. So today I wanna jump into brand positioning. And this is kind of one of the most important steps of brand strategy in my opinion, because it kind of is the thing that everyone remembers you for, whether that's your pricing, your product, or even just a feeling, right? So Coca-Cola has claimed the position of happy over their lifetime and they've used that in all of their marketing and communications. So really positioning can be anything that people can remember you for and something that can separate you from all of your competitors. So when we think of you know brands like Hoover or Jeep or Chapstick or Biro, like these aren't product names, these are brand names but they've done such a good job of positioning themselves in the minds of customers that we actually use those brands to describe the object, right? So I wanna jump in today and talk a little bit about positioning, how you can find your position and basically take that forward in everything that you do within your brand strategy. The first thing that I wanna jump into is brand purpose. And the reason I wanna take a step back and talk about brand purpose is because anything we do in strategy should start with the brand purpose. And that is no different for positioning. So when you know why your company exists, and I mean, not just to make money, I mean, beyond that, you can base everything else on that. So this doesn't have to be something massive and existential, like you don't have to be solving world hunger or poverty or anything like that. If you can, then that's amazing, of course. But anything that gives you and your staff a reason to get out of bed in the morning to work for your company, and also something that your customers can kind of latch onto beyond just the features and benefits of your product or service. So I've got a couple of examples in front of me here. I'll just read out some brand purposes for you. So Nespresso cultivating coffee as an art to grow the best in each of us apple to create products that enrich people's daily lives and british airways bringing people places and diverse cultures closer together for more than 100 years so i've picked three very different companies and industries here to kind of give you a broad variety of what i'm talking about but you can see that what these guys are talking about really goes beyond the product that they're making or the service that they're providing and more about what they're adding to the world, why the business should exist in the marketplace that's gonna get customers to give a shit about them, right? So when you know why you do what you do, when you know why your business exists beyond making money, you know what you need to do and how you need to get there because you become driven towards one singular direction. So when the why is clear, the how is easy. So have a think about what your brand purpose is and sometimes this can be a little bit tricky. So. Speak to someone else, bring in a facilitator or even just chat with other people in your business and just think together. Like sometimes you need to talk in order to be able to think and just getting your ideas out there together would be really, really helpful in finding why your brand exists beyond money. Once you've done that, you need to understand your customer. Now, this is probably the most overused phrase in the history of business and branding, But I want to try and uh, break this down a little bit more for you. So this isn't just a case of like, you know, men between 40 and 60 who like cycling, right? Like that's so surface level and it doesn't give you a tangible human being that you can speak to when you're networking, when you're marketing, communicating as a brand, creating content. Like when you have someone who's really dialed in as a human being, it dictates all of these things for you. The best way to kind of go about this and understand your customer is to understand their needs, their wants, their pain points, and then gaining insights into who they are. And you can do this a bunch of different ways. And there's, um, you can check out the other episode we released about three strategic ways to find gaps in the market. Um, but essentially you wanna find not just what people say or what they do, but also what they need. And this is the trickier one, right? So if I said to you, if we were talking and I said to you, yeah, like I eat healthy all the time, like I really care about my body and stuff, you could take that at face value. And that might be fine. I could be telling you the truth. But what if you came to the store with me? What if you came to Sainsbury's with me and you kind of hung out in a shady coat and a fedora in the corner and you saw me just like Filling my trolley with snacks and chocolate, you'd be like, hey, this guy's full of rubbish. (laughs) You'd know that I wasn't telling you the truth, right? And that's not necessarily that I'm a liar or I'm disingenuous or anything, but people like to put their best foot forward, especially when they're in some sort of formal um, scenario, any kind of interview. So you can't just ask people what they like and what they need and what they're struggling with, you need to actually kind of observe them in their natural environment and figure that out for yourself. It's kind of that old quote from Henry Ford, right? If I'd asked people what they would have wanted, they would have said faster horses. Cars didn't exist. They wouldn't have been like, hey, we need cars. So that's kind of on you to gather those insights and and read between the lines. When you've done that, you can then create a customer persona, a customer empathy map, and a customer journey map. There's some examples of this on our blog, if you want to see kind of what these look like, but essentially this leaves you with a tangible representation of your customer that can guide everything, not only your brand strategy, but more specifically with your positioning. So you're not making any assumptions as to what they need or, you know, what your competitors are doing. You can really understand their behavior, their thoughts and their feelings to help guide your positioning to fill a gap that's needed in the market. And you want to look at, you know, not just what their needs are, but also what touch points you can engage them with, what, how you can help them. What other brands or influences do they have in their lives that are potential points in their lives that maybe you can engage with them or, or shared values and topics that you can connect with them on. Hey, this is Miko from Venture. I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you are, we'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll shout you out on the next episode back to the show. Okay, so we've got our customer personas and our brand purpose. Next, you need to decide what you want to be known for. And this is the hard thing. So you need to think about what your competitors are doing first and foremost, so that you can position yourself as far away from them as possible. Because if you're doing anything remotely similar to what they're doing, you're just gonna end up competing on price. And that's the whole point of positioning is to avoid competing on price. So here's a really cool example, and no one seems to know this. <laughs> Whenever I tell people, they're always really shocked. When you think of Rolex, you think of wealth, you think of luxury and high status, right? And you could argue with great utility that Rolex alone owns this position and these words within the luxury watch space. You could do that. But I bet you didn't know that Rolex is actually owned by a non that's crazy. Like no one knows this. And the reason they don't know this is because Rolex don't want you to know them for that. That's not how they position themselves. They could do, I mean, you know, being a nonprofit is a perfectly admirable thing for a business to be, but that's not how they want to be known. They want to be known for that luxury and high status. So there are really endless options when it comes to positioning, which can be tricky, but it's also quite liberating. Like anything that you could be remembered for is something that you can claim as a market position. So that could be the luxury option or the cheap option. It could be being known for happiness. Like I said earlier with Coca-Cola, evoke a, a, an adjective. It could be the brand that appeals to the younger generation like Pepsi. You could be the safe option or you could be the Italian option, right? Like be creative here. And like I said, the best place is really to start with your competitors. Plot them all out on a positioning map on a, on a two-way axis. And you can do multiple of these. You don't have to just do two axes. And see what they're known for. Plot them all on a map. And if there's a gap somewhere and there always is a gap, plot your brand there. Put yourself as far away as you physically can. And that is the position that you claim. Once you've done that, you can go about writing a positioning statement. This is not something that is customer facing. This is not something that you put out to the world, but this is something internal that reminds everyone within the organization who you are and where you exist in the market. So there's a bunch of different positioning statement templates that you can use here, but this is the one that we like to use more often than not. So we help target audience who challenge or pain point they have to key benefit of your product or service, Unlike Competitive alternatives, our solution, differentiator. So that might sound a bit weird if you're not seeing this in front of you, but essentially I'm gonna fill in those blanks for you. And this is a British home bakery brand that we did some strategy for and they make Welsh bread. And this was the positioning statement that we wrote for them. So we help families living in Britain who crave the warm feeling of home baking to enjoy authentic homemade bread. Unlike other baked goods brands, our bread uses traditional Welsh methods to evoke a reminiscent feeling of childhood. Do you see how clear that positioning is? Like That tells you exactly who it's for, what problem it solves, how it's different. It really it just completely captures the market position for this brand that you can clearly see is not owned by any of its competitors. You know, we're thinking about Warburton's and Kingsmill and those type of brands. So Again, a positioning statement is not meant to be some sort of beautiful piece of crafted copy that persuades customers. In fact, customers will never see your positioning statement. And this is internal, but it will guide your branding, your marketing, and your communications. And it acts as a reminder for everything that you do differently to your competitors and what you want to be known for. Okay. So now we have our positioning statement. We need to go about owning that position. So this is going to take time, but essentially, once you've decided on what your position is, we now need to take the time over our, you know, the next few years of business with all of our marketing, branding, communications to do everything that we can and to make every correct decision that further solidifies that position in the minds of the customer. So, let's take our Welsh home bakery brand example that I just told you about a moment ago. Right? Let's say in the Welsh bread they're selling is doing really well, and we want to add a new. Product to the to the range. The brand comes to us to say, "Hey, we want to add a new product to the range. This is what we're thinking. What do you reckon?" If they said, um, you know, something like crumpets or another sort of uh, English muffin or something like that, that would be amazing. I think that would work perfectly well because that's another food that is reminiscent of childhood, British family childhood, something that their target audience can really relate to. But what if they said churros? <laughs> that would be really weird right like churros of course are super delicious and that's great and they could they could make that perfectly well but it's wrong for the brand and it would completely ruin their positioning an example i always use i I like to dress quite smart a lot of the time and let's say we met you know multiple times and i dress smart and you kind of build this image of me in your mind and then one day we go for drinks and i show up wearing like a flowery hawaiian t-shirt you'd be like, you'd be so confused, right? Like that wouldn't fit with what you know about me. And this is exactly the same with brands. You have to be consistent with this so that over time people come to know you for a particular person. And you do need to think about your brand as a specific person. The same way we dial down our customer persona to one or two individuals we need to do the same thing for our brand and a good example of this actually a really cool positioning example that you may know is from the 60s and this was with avis the car rental company and their biggest competitor at that time was hertz hertz were number one and avis were number two and they knew that they couldn't compete with these guys avis thought hey what should we do and they thought well we're number two people know us as number two let's own that position and use it to our advantage. So they put out a really, really cool billboard that said, Avis is only number two in renter cars. So we try harder. And I love this because they said, yeah, you know, we are number two. That's what you know us as. But because we're number two, we try harder than, than Hertz because we want to be number one. And we have an incentive to try harder than them. So don't necessarily think about positioning in this kind of corporate putting our best foot forward approach. You can use your weaknesses as your positioning strategy and you can use it to your advantage really, really cleverly. That's kind of a high level overview of positioning. So we start with a brand purpose. You know, when we know our why, that guides our decision in the business. And that's definitely no stranger for positioning. We understand our customer and we plot them out on a customer persona, an empathy map and a journey map. Again, check out the blog if you want to see a little bit more about how to do those. We decide what we want to be known for. We decide that position. That could be price. It could be a feeling. It could be a particular feature, whatever it is, as long as it's different from our competitors. We then write that into a positioning statement using the template that I mentioned earlier. Again, that's on the blog. And lastly, we own that position over the coming months and years in our business by making sure that all of our marketing communications is in line with that position. Thanks for tuning in. If you learned something new this episode, subscribe to the show for more tips on helping your business stand out. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. And if you're hungry for more great resources, or if you'd like to work with us on building your brand, head over to ventureagency.com. That's venture without the E.